0: to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 254. Just the other day, Royal Caribbean revealed a lot of interesting details about what it plans to offer in Perfect Day at Coco Cay, and it was so interesting, so intriguing, and so exciting that I wanted to talk about it on this week's episode. So we're going to discuss what was announced, what we think of it, and what might be coming around the corner with Perfect Day at Coco Cay. Here we go. This week's episode of the Royal Korean Blog Podcast was recorded actually as a bonus episode for the Royal Korean blog podcast Top Tier Insiders. And this is gonna be an opportunity for me to mention uh, our wonderful insider program, where it's an opportunity for you to support the Royal Korean blog podcast and everything we do at RoyalKareanBlog.com by becoming an insider. And for as little as one dollar a month, you can support everything we do here on the blog, including this show. And if it depends on the level you donate at, you can get different rewards for it. And if you're a top-tier insider, someone who donates at the top level, the top echelon of donations per month, you actually get access to bonus episodes of this very podcast. And every so often, I will record a bonus episode. And originally, I was going to record this week's episode as that. But the discussion that I had was so interesting with Billy uh, from CruiseHabit.com, and so good, I just knew that we had to make this episode available to everybody. So this is a a sneak preview, if you will, kind of like, you remember how HBO would do like weekend, free weekend kind of things? Well, that's kind of what we're doing here, giving you an idea of uh, the sort of content we also include sometimes in these bonus episodes. And of course, if you're interested in becoming an insider as well, regardless of how much you want to donate at, everything is welcome. You can do so by going to royalcaribianblog.com slash support, royalcaribianblog.com slash support I'll place a link in our show notes at royalcaribianblog.com with more information on how you can become an insider. So there you go. Enjoy this week's episode. And today we're talking about the recent news of all the details and prices revealed for pretty much most of them for Perfect Tay A. Coco K. And joining me to talk about the big news, I brought on my very good friend Billy from CruiseHabit.com. Welcome back, Billy.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm all sorts of excited to talk about this uh, for, for reasons I will ramble on about until you turn off my mic.
0: That's right. This is for top tier insiders. They got no choice but to listen to this on and on and on. It doesn't affect my iTunes rating. So it's it's win-win.
1: <laughs> well, plus, you know, from, from like a, an economic and behavioral standpoint, uh, it's kind of like, you know, you guys paid to listen to this. So <laughs> you're going to hear it all the
0: way through. <laughs> so let's go through uh, bit by bit. And of course, if you haven't read the blog post yet, what were you doing the last 48 hours? Uh, go to realcarminblog.com. There's a link over there for all the information. This was posted on June 5th. Um, and it basically entails everything that uh, realcarmin announced. It's also going to be, I think, the basis for what we're going to be talking about here because there's quite a bit of information that got posted here. Originally, Billy, when I got the notice, realcarmin literally sent an email to me that was two paragraphs. Not even like, it was like, as in two paragraphs, it's like two separate sentences. And I was like, okay, basically confirming what we had posted, I think, on the Friday before, that there was just, you know, stuff for sale. But if you dug into it, then I discovered literally a seven-page document of, like, here's what all this stuff is. So there's a lot of stuff that's over here. And I really feel like it answers a lot of those questions. And we'll get to that uh, a little bit later. But I want to talk about the timeline first, Bill, because this is the most interesting thing. Um, Rokerman said from day one, and day one being uh, March of earlier this year when they announced all this, that they were going to do this in, t- in tiers, phases, and that they were going to open up different parts in different phases. And the new timeline, and I emphasize the word new because it's changed, is now the pier will open November 2018. Uh, the Helium Balloon, Chill Island, Oasis Lagoon will open in December 2018. You've got the water park, the zip line, the aqua park, and a lot of dining will open in May 2019. And the last aspect of it will be uh, South Beach. Coco Beach Club and the Over the Water Commanders by December 2019, of course, this is all subject to change, and quite frankly, I'd expect it to change because uh, the reason I'm bringing this up, Billy, is what's interesting is the pier has now moved three different dates as to when it was supposed to open. So it was supposed to open originally June 2018, then literally as of last week, it was still set at November, uh, September 2018, and now it's at November 2018. So, I mean, obviously, the it's construction, it's the Caribbean, it's subject to weather and you know other conditions here, but... What's your take on the timeline? Uh, looking at this, especially as you know, you're we're all apprehensive about the uh, opportunity to finally go check it out.
1: Well, I, I got to say, I, I feel bad for for anyone who um, whose job it is to to figure out these timelines, right? Because you're balancing just this every element of this really huge uh not only construction project but you know marketing pro- <laughs> marketing project you have to figure out how to probably monetize all this there's just a lot that goes into it and you know all, all of it can change because of one storm uh too and people want dates uh you want dates i want dates Every, everyone out there wants dates and to plan their vacation um and you know people there will be some people not the majority but there will be some people who will plan their vacation their itineraries around these dates and they're going to change so everyone demands the dates and then when they change because things are complicated people are going to be upset so i think going into this we just have to acknowledge that in in a month in nine months in 18 months we're going to be talking about people who are upset maybe even us uh that we booked uh you know sailings to to see and experience certain uh parts of this project um and you know what not ready yet um, yeah. It's, it's the, a, the flip it, side of that is the majority of people aren't planning that way and they'll get there see part of it they'll see more is being constructed and they'll go I, I now we have to come back. Sweetheart, we have to book another cruise. Look. Yep. <laughs> look at all the stuff. <laughs> and that's that's the majority of people. So that's what's important to remember.
0: Right. And of course for Royal Caribbean it's almost it's almost lose lose no matter what. If they don't post a timeline then inevitably the question is why don't they just tell us when it's going to open? When can I go see it? Well, we're not going to tell you. So that's a terrible PR move, and people are going to slam them for that. But by the same token, you're 100 percent right, Billy. You know they, they say these dates, and people are going to, for, even though maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. You can debate that. They're still going to book it, right? They're still going to make trips. Thing looking at this and say, oh, okay. Well, I'll book my trip in, you know, the, the the water park's open in May 2019. I'll book June 2019 to be safe. And you know, if that date slips. You know, it's it's again, it's a lose lose thing. Um, uh, you know, I think most people are, are rational about it, but there will be also some upset people. It does remind me, Billy, not unrelated to Real Caribbean, of the Test Track when it first opened. Do you remember that? About um, Test Track is a Disney World ride, and when it was supposed to open, remember they had I, there was a. I f- was there the
1: the like two days after it was supposed to open, which was you know the week that it wasn't.
0: Yeah. Um, the- <laughs> Because Test Track is a ride in Epcot, and it was supposed to open in May 1997, but there were so many problems they ran into in construction and and development and whatnot. It didn't open until 1999, and it was a big deal because they had this huge sign, like, opening 1997. And then it just eventually became a joke, and it was, like, just opening soon, right? And then it just – there were a ton of problems. But, I mean, that's obviously the outlier. You don't ever want to go to that point, but that's the problem. It's like if you don't communicate a date, you're subject to people just, you know, people are going to lose their mind about it, right? And my cat right now is losing his mind about this <laughs> idea of, 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 of the opening date. The Why? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, at, at the very least, let's we have to take it at their word for what it is right now. Um, and I can tell you at this point, I don't have any cruises that are going to be hitting Coco K uh, in the interview. The only time I have is that Royal Caribbean blog group cruise on Mariner of this season, March so we'll at least see theoretically, like the balloon and chill Island and the lagoon uh, freshwater pool, but uh, we're gonna, not going to be there for the water park and some of the other really interesting things. So no choice but to book another cruise after.
1: As as, as nerds, it's going to be fun to to hit a couple sailings. I know I'll be as as we get closer, I'll be looking at maybe some weekend sailings with stops there, just so we can see the progress. Absolutely. You know. That, that alone will be neat. Um, I'm the same guy that was very nicely asked by a Disney cast member one time not to extend my tripod all the way, set the timer on my DSLR, and hold it above a construction wall. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nice. Uh, let's talk about the cost and what's included because this was a big question. A lot of people were really wondering what's going what's gonna to be included in your cruise fare and what's going to cost extra. And not only that, there's also prices that are that are being shared here. These are price ranges. The price, the exact price you'll pay, will vary from season and sailing to sailing, which is not unusual compared to like you know the drink package, right? If you go on the on a new Royal Caribbean ship over Christmas, you're probably to pay more for your drink package than you would if you're going in you know uh, first week of February on you know Liberty of the Seas as an example. Not that's an old ship, but you kind of get where I'm going at this. Uh, first question I have for you, Billy, is Forget price for a second. What was your reaction to the amount of stuff that's included versus stuff that's for charge? Were you surprised, not surprised, uh, in line with what you were expecting? Totally different? It's in line with what I was expecting,
1: and here's here's why. Uh, Much like the industry overall on on cruise ships uh, across the market have added a lot of options for guests. Uh, While we hear about nickel and diming, in general – it's the options that we didn't have before that tend to cost money, right? So sure. what I'm looking at when I when I see what's included versus what costs extra, um, the things that are currently included with your uh, experience at Coco are not. There are, there are no new charges for those experiences that that I was able to identify. Some of the costs may change because the offering may change, but you're you're actually getting more options in terms of there are more beaches, there will be more dining venues, things like that. Uh, but Hey, dining was included before. Cool. Now dining's included. You could enjoy a day at the beach before. Cool. You still can. Um, you know, the fundamentals in that way haven't changed. And now there are just a bunch of options that if you don't want to take advantage of, and you, you know, you're not taking advantage of them now cause they don't exist the the price point doesn't change for you so you know there there wasn't uh to me a real big surprise there There there's some surprises inside the pricing for me that that we'll get to but as far as what's included and what's not about what I expected
0: I think you actually brought up a really good point I need to consider which is you know the stuff that was already included is still included not only that Billy Coco Cay today does not have a pool right Oasis Lagoon is complimentary part of it and I don't think they have a uh, uh, an equivalent of Splashway Bay or Captain Jack's Galleon which are these water splash pad areas. Labity has one area. It's really it's pales in comparison. It's really just like a and if you've ever been to like a neighborhood park that has a splash pad it's say equivalent it's the same size, yeah. To. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh but there that's an addition. So that's a plus. That's we're getting more and you already mentioned the dining. So that's a really good perspective. So I agree with you. I was not – like I was a little surprised or pleasantly – I don't know if I was surprised. I was happy to see that the pool and Splash Away Bay were included. I was not sure about Splash Away Bay because I could have totally seen them being – making that part of the water park as a as a, an amenity. But mm. it's included and it's great because obviously who's going to really take advantage of it? Just the kids um, and and the dumb parents who have to watch them like me. So there's, you know, your, 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 you've got that at least included, which is nice. And that way, if you've got young children, especially toddlers, you don't have to do the old, well, if we want to have fun outside of the beach, you know, we have to pay for park, water park admission. Uh, that's not true. You have that option with the, with the, the other things. And, and pretty much everything that's for charge, Billy, I think you're right. I mean, it's basically stuff that – nothing that was free before, A, importantly, and B – the, other than the Captain Jacks, to be fair, that's a new four charge dining option, but there's still other dining choices to be included. Uh, but everything else is literally stuff that didn't exist. They were, and I don't think anyone was really going to say, "Wow, that should that's not included." Like you know, that, these are all just additional things.
1: And, and you know, with Captain Jacks, I look at that the same way as I see specialty dining on ships. Um, mm. Again, when I hear people complain about nickel and diming on ships on, on any cruise line, I think, "Wow." Uh, it was not that long ago that I went on a cruise and you had, like, two choices as far as where you were dining on the ship. And that was sure. either the dining room or the buffet. And now you have on some ships, you know, 15 options. Yeah, some of those cost money. But you still have more options than ever that are complementary. And that's exactly the same thing that we're seeing here.
0: Yep. Now let's talk about the prices for the for charge things. These are things like how much the water park costs, uh, the cabanas. The dining, the beaches, and whatnot. Let's start with the water park. We're just going to go down the list here. It's just easier rather than jumping all around. Uh, the water park uh, for a full day is forty-four to 99 dollars. The half day is thirty-nine to seventy-four dollars, and kids zero to three are complimentary. I got to tell you, I think I feel this way, and I think I feel like most people that I've read their reactions feel the same way. That the pricing is lower than I think everyone was expecting.
1: Yeah. Um I, I think the easiest way to compare it i i know some people have been comparing to to shoreside water parks and things like that and and you just can't do that in my opinion for it does doesn't work for a number of reasons but um so i I think of the pricing as compared to what you would spend uh on an excursion in a different port hmm. and if you if you look at the water parks for example you know roughly depending on various things you know forty fifty bucks. Per person, well, you're very likely to spend a lot more than that on, on an excursion um, in another port. So that makes it, in and of itself, reason, uh, reasonable to me.
0: Yeah, I think reasonable is definitely the right word there. Uh, and I think that you know, the like I said, I th- first of all, the half day price and the full day price are so close together. It Really reminds me of going to the, like to the movie theater, Billy, and they ask you, you know, you order the medium popcorn. What's the first thing they're going to tell you after you order the medium popcorn?
1: Oh, the large is only, you know, 39 yeah, cents more.
0: <laughs> exactly. And this is, I mean, it's a negligible difference in a lot of cases between the half day and full day. I think it's by design. That's to avoid, if they made it double, who would, you know, a lot of people probably would say, well, I'll just do the half day. But I think this is exactly that logic to get people to just commit to the full day of it. Um, really interesting. Uh, but again, I think pricing is uh, pretty much in line. In fact, anything, there's anything in the, under the thrills category, which includes the Thrill Waterpark Zipline package, the Zipline itself, or the Helium Balloon, surprise you one way or another? Um, well,
1: actually, let, let, let me take a, a quick step back. Uh, okay. You mentioned the half-day pricing. Uh, i It's just a hunch. I think we're going to see the half-day pricing go away at some point. Um, and the reason is, right now, it, it's the same reason that you, uh, that there are, uh, well, one of the reasons that you have guarantee rates on insides, one of the many, um, Lead pricing Hmm. by having half day pricing. They every story that comes out between now and even after launch can talk about, uh, you know, enjoy a a day at a water park for under forty dollars and things like that. You have lead pricing means a lot, especially when people are comparison shopping between cruise lines that offer. I'm not saying that every cruise line is offering the same experience, but, you know, they're they're not comparing apples and oranges here. You know, true. They're saying okay cruise line X has uh, has a private island with stuff on it and cruise line uh, y does too. Let me look at uh, what this is gonna cost me so uh, just I, I I'd be willing to bet we see those go away that's that's lead pricing to me
0: okay um, fair enough so right.
1: I'm sorry right. your, your your actual question that you
0: wanted to ask me and and I forgot it already. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the other things under the thrills uh, anything that really stands out to you the only thing that really I picked up on was the zip line. The intro pricing is cheaper than Labadie's zipline. Labadie's zipline is coming in right yes. now at around a smidge under a hundred dollars, like 97 dollars, something like that. And the intro pricing is seventy nine. Although it can go up to one thirty nine, which would then exceed the price for Labadie's zipline. But um, other than that, everything else is pretty much in line with what you know. Basically, you know, once nothing, nothing too shocking is what I'm trying to say.
1: I, I noticed the zipline uh, thing as well, and I don't know if there's an actual difference there. I, I was trying to recall, and I was actually, before um, before we jumped on to record, I was, was looking through some some old uh, Skype conversations, uh, <laughs> a- AOL instant message conversations. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> some text messages, because I remember people telling me on a couple sailings, that were obviously just slower sailings, they paid less than a hundred dollars at Lava And I was trying to remember what that bottomed out at. So seventy nine to one thirty nine could could maybe mean enjoy it for enjoy the zip line at uh Coco K for seventy nine dollars if uh if you end up here uh, the first week in September. Yeah, um, yeah you know a really slow traditional time. So um, you know, no other, no other big surprises on on those price points. The the price points that I think are surprising, and I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, so feel free sure. to stop me. Uh, is around, um, around the the cabanas, and not because they're so high. So so that's if if we want to put the controversial thing on this before I even explain myself, it's listen to this episode. Because Billy thinks that the cabana prices are too low.
0: Whoa, back up. Hold on, I just fell out of my chair.
1: (laughs) And here's why. Because they're providing a lot of value. Because I'm looking at these prices for the water park, for example, and I'm saying, geez, you know, if if a full day, if the low end full day cost the water park is $44 per person and a cabana rental – in I forgot which area I've, I'm still learning all I'm trying to memorize all the different names, but the, a cabana rental that includes water park access includes it for up to six guests. Well, even on the low end, that's what, 260 something dollars. Don't make me do math while I'm uh, recording. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of value built into the cabanas that yes. in the past has not been built into, um, cabanas at, uh, Lobby or, or loungers or, or, or at Coco. K. Um, And it makes me wonder if some of those benefits are going to change or if some of those prices could change because they they may not want to increase the prices. What they maybe they'll say, okay, well, now, you know, uh, it includes uh, access again, just using the water park one as an example. uh, It includes access for up to four guests or uh, 75 percent off uh, for for up to six guests or something like that. Um, there's, there's a lot of value being provided there so that if you're a family that's ready to go all in on, on one of these, I'll just say packages, whether it's sold that way or not. But saying that's what we're going to do is we're, we're booking what is essentially an excursion. You're, you're, you're pre-purchasing tickets, access to amenities on Coco K, And you say, well, we're going to want a place to camp out, you know, to put our, all of our stuff to go back to, to relax The incremental cost isn't that huge anymore,
0: right? I've I've, and I've said for for a long time, especially the the Cabanas La I've always thought were well worth the money. People always you know balked at the fact that they were four or five hundred dollars, but again, I would tell people, look, if you break down the cost per person per hour, it's an incredible value, especially compared to any other short excursion you're going to do for that kind of a price. But also. Uh, you know when you're talking about the uh, from the thrill, not counting the Cocoa Beach Club cabanas, we'll get to those in a minute. But yeah. the, you know for the, everything else, the Thrill Water Cabanas, even at their worst, they included admission up to six guests into the water park. Plus, you actually get the use of the cabana. So, assuming the cabanas in any of these cases are are equal to if not superior to the existing cabanas, you know, as long as they're not like, you know, we, I don't know if you've been to ability to some like, you know, resorts, land resorts where they have like cabanas and they're really just yeah. tents. Uh, you know, as long as we're getting something more than that, which I don't have any reason to believe that'll be the case. You know, if, as long as we can maintain what we've had with cabanas traditionally with Royal Caribbean, and uh, going forward, I still think it's a great deal. The only reason wouldn't it be a good deal is if, if, you're going by yourself or even maybe like two people outside of the two ninety nine price range, it's hard to justify that. But you know, Billy, you and I have shared cabanas before in the past, and uh, I've shared that with, with friends and family as well. And I'll tell you, it's the best money I spend uh, in any of these places because, like you said, it's a, it's, a, it's a home base of operations. You get that level of service with the attendant there, mm-hmm. you get some built in things that are included. And on top of that, now you have, with so much more things going on, you know, in Coca Cay in general between the pools and the water parks and the beaches, you know, it's, it's nice to have that little, like, home base. You don't have to worry so much about having, you know, where you're going to put your stuff. I think that that's huge over there. Um, now, the, the the Cocoa Beach Club Cabanas are a lot of money. I mean, you're talking about 1000 to $1,500, basically, uh, when it's all said and done. They do include up to eight guests, which ain't nothing. Uh, and obviously, that has some additional perks to it beyond just, you know, what we've historically seen with the Cabanas. I mean, I really think Billy comes down to the same rationale as booking a suite in a room uh, on a st- on a ship versus a balcony or something like that. You know, if if the price makes sense for you and your family, there's some nice benefits to it, some nice perks. It may not be a value proposition, but if you're looking to splurge, uh, I mean, this is definitely the option to to, to choose.
1: Absolutely, and yeah, you know, especially for for the uh, again, I wish I could remember the names of these things. I'll, we'll get there. The uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, club, uh, Cocoa beach club. Yeah. Th- those, yes. yeah, that's definitely kind of a, a splurge thing. And that's not new in, 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 the industry. You know, just like we see on cruise ships, we see more and more the ship in a ship experience. Royal Caribbean hasn't done that. Um, Physically, but they do it with, uh, you know, uh, the different class, suite classes, right, of what's included. Um, you see a lot of success, NCL with uh, the Haven, uh, MSC with the Yacht Club. This idea that there are some people that are going to be glad to pay that premium for a premium experience. And as long as you, you don't have just a massive number of them where you're, you're putting a ton of investment and saying, oh, gee, 2,000 people uh, didn't each drop, you know, $1,600 for a cabana. Well, it's not really a problem. Um, you know, and then when you, when you look at the others, uh, I, I did the math as you were talking, the, um, through a water park cabanas, if you look at the low end pricing of the cabanas and the low end pricing of the, <clears throat> uh, water park access itself, if you have a group of six people, I don't know. Hypothetically, say uh, a family of four uh, associated with a certain Royal Caribbean blog and uh, two of their their very uh, best friends, um, <laughs> and you all pay for for access into the park. Um, well, if instead you get that cabana, the net cost of the cabana becomes two hundred thirty five dollars. Well, wow. would you get a cabana for two hundred thirty five dollars? I think most listeners would really change their tune on the pricing that you know for cabanas. So. That that seems like no brainer. Again, those premium options—they're always going to be there. You see, um, you see at Harvest K, NCL's Harvest K, um, e- similar things. You see in um, uh, in the the in the DR uh, Amber Cove, yeah. Uh, for Carnival uh, brands, you see they have some similar things. In fact, I think it, I have a picture here somewhere, but I think uh, there they have some cabanas that are. Um, definitely more than most people's mortgage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and You know you only need to fill a few of them. You know, there, there are sure. people that are, are willing to do that. Um, but the value prop, regardless of, of what you are getting for that in terms of access and, and uh, those other uh, amenities, depending on which cabana you're looking at, as you mentioned, with so much more going on in CocoCay,
0: you're going to want that home base all the more. Absolutely. And one thing to mention, I, this gets confused a lot and I can understand why. The price for these cabanas, by the way, it's per cabana, not per person when you see these rates over there. Uh, sometimes people think it's per person and the Royal Chrome website allows you to actually book it per person, which will then drive to an insane level. But that's not the case. If you have four people, you book it for one person. That's it. That's how it works. So uh, I meant to
1: check. Was that something that they fixed with the
0: uh, website changes? No, no, it's still very much there. And um, yeah, a lot of people freak out and they send me they'll send me an email I'm like, Matt, <laughs> the cabanas are like two thousand dollars, and I'm like, no, a fleet of cabanas are two thousand no, dollars, <laughs> but one is actually just. <laughs> um, actually, you know, the thing that I was most surprised about, or pleasantly surprised about, was the fact that not only were your drink packages work there, there was some scuttlebutt about that not being the case, but. <laughs> I don't think they're really going to pull the trigger on that, but Voom Internet finally as and look, this is maybe we're playing to an audience of two here, but as Billy and I have spent too much time trying to figure out a way to game the system to get internet coverage on board on one of the real Caribbean islands, I will tell you having the Wi-Fi package now work on board on the ship and on the island is a huge plus and no additional cost to that.
1: Yeah, it's. I I was um, I wouldn't say that I was surprised that they did it um, with VOOM, Mm. Um, but I I wasn't sure if that's how they were going to. I mean, it would have. Listen, it would have absolutely my head would have exploded if they announced all these changes and there was not going to be Wi-Fi there. It really it it, it's bizarre that it is taking so long to be frank. (laughs) Um, It's not like it's uh, it's not like these islands are without uh, Internet access. Sure. So I wasn't surprised that they announced that. I wasn't sure if they were going to do it through VOOM or not. Um, some private destinations, it's just free. Some, you have to buy something because some of the stores are still operated independently of the cruise line. Um, I, I think doing it under VOOM makes sense. And it, it'll only help especially at the beginning with uh, with marketing. I mean, you know, people, it'll be all over the place. Um, so so there, your value prop is increased with uh your your Voom value prop increases just like the value prop of the drink packages is better on Royal Caribbean than on some other lines if you're visiting private destinations because it works with Labadi and Coco K. Um, th- those are all really good things and and those again that means you're actually not being nickel and dimed you're you're getting value
0: adds. Absolutely. Let's move on to the uh, I guess we call it the water slides and and the rules essentially that Royal Caribbean added to. Uh, basically give light on to what slides will be available and of course any restrictions there nothing really stood out to me Billy uh, there's there's restrictions on a lot of the water slides um, some of them are a little higher than you might expect so this is similar to what you'd find actually on real Caribbean ships as well in fact uh, my 7 year old daughter is still too short to do a lot of the water slides so if you've got kids before you buy the pass for them to the water park and commit to it you might want to double check on this just to make sure that you're within the height requirement and there's also maximum weight limits associated as well so you want to make sure again you fit in there and you're not going to have any issues <coughs> with uh, any of that going on but nothing really was like shocking to me in terms of the changes there uh the wave pools they're going to require that if you're under 48 inches that all guests need to wear a swim vest which is obviously good safety anyway and quite frankly even though my seven-year-old is a pretty good swimmer when it comes to a wave pool i think i would probably insist on that anyway because that's just asking to get turned upside down in the water and you know disoriented and. You know, I don't need that kind of uh, that kind of anxiety in my life again.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I'll agree with that. I mean, I, I was a competitive swimmer. I used to be a lifeguard. Wave pools can really uh, be disorientating even for an adult who's a great swimmer. So uh, I agree. That's probably a good move there. Um, none of the restrictions surprised me. What actually surprised me, however, um, was that they did mention that uh, with, with some exceptions around uh, water slides and things like that, where there are steps, a lot of these things are um ADA compliant, which is not required. They're not in the United States. And and frankly, uh, the United States is kind of an outlier in having pretty exceptional accessibility laws. So uh, taking those steps um was I, I think pretty cool. Um, and uh may give them a, a little bit of an edge. Royal Caribbean has been great about accessibility, um you know not perfect, certainly. Uh, but compared to some other cruise lines uh, and, you know, not just with uh, physical disability, uh, also with the, the, the autism, uh, is it a- autism at sea uh, program. Yes. So I, I, w- I was glad to see that. That was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the policies, I also wanted to go over one of, uh, first of all, there's not going to be adventure ocean programming on K. That's not surprising because they stopped doing that a while ago on both Labadee and Cocoa Bay. a long time ago. They had one. In fact, I remember the first time we ever went to Coco Cay, we dropped my daughter off over there, and it was – literally, it was a sandbox with a overhead like a like – not a canvas, but a, like a tarp overhead that they put water in so that it would drip on the children to keep them cool. Like it was just basically a large sandbox, and it was supervised. So it was nice. I mean, you know, my wife and I could have gotten – you know, have some drinks or whatever done as an excursion. But nowadays, they just figured, you know what? It's way easier and better to leave them on the ship rather than do it on board – on the island. I think it's a great idea, so I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, I was intrigued by the fact that K will not have any exclusive areas for Crown and Anchor Society members or Sweet guests. I'm not so much surprised about the Crown and Anchor because I don't recall it. I think a long time ago, there might have been something for them. But anyway, for Sweet guests not having a private area like in D you've got Barefoot Beach, and that means that that's a private area just for Sweet guests, and they're not doing it here. I don't personally care, and Billy, you know I book sweets from time to time. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I think it's actually not a big deal. I know people are going to disagree with me on this one, but I don't think it's a big deal because traditionally with a place like Coco Cay, you had, it was a beach day. You just hung out at the beach. That's all there was to do. You sit on the beach. And if you're going to compete with everybody else on the ship to sit at the beach, having a special area for sweet guests kind of makes some sense. But now with so many offerings being available between the Oasis Lagoon pool, the various beaches, the water parks, the cabanas, and the and the private beach clubs, I kind of feel like that demand for everybody being in the same area is less and thus, I feel like a special area for sweet guests is not necessary. I understand that some people might be upset with it because, again, you're looking at D and they have that over there. Uh, perhaps that's – that, and that's obviously a change here in K. But at the end of the day, I just don't think it – I don't think it matters to me all that much. I, it, personally, I don't care. I certainly can understand why some people might care, but um, I don't see this – while it is a change and worth noting – I don't feel like it's a problem. What do you think?
1: I'm happy about this because I, uh, you know, there are certain people, uh, you, uh, Ken Jarvis, that that I'll just never get to see at Labadee because uh, you're off in your uh, fancy, uh, fancy areas. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, what I kind of expect, and and forgive me if if they announce this and I didn't catch it, is that they will give um, priority access to some of these. Amenities to suites, to sweet guests rather, um, such as cabanas. Um, Again, when you look at the net cost of some of these cabanas uh, and the limited availability of even the beach club cabanas, the the more expensive ones. When you have an Oasis or even a Freedom Class ship come in, those are going to go real quickly. And maybe they'll announce it officially as a sweet perk or maybe they'll just hold a certain number of them. That the, um, that the suite concierge has access to for the first couple of days of a sailing, something like that. Um, th- I, I think that's how that'll get handled. You know, if, if people want their own suite area, I mean, I, I guess, it, will that keep people from, would <laughs> will someone not book a suite because of that? And the answer is probably no. And for those that, that do feel that way, and everyone's entitled to, to feel how they feel, but for those who do feel that way, um, generally speaking, across most cruise lines, suites are the first rooms to fill up, generally. So there's somebody right. waiting to to book that suite behind you, which is why we see benefits in suites that are often parity with other cruise lines in the, in the same part of their market. Um, but not fighting beyond that because it's not usually needed.
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I mean, I agree with everything you said there. Look, there are going to be some people are going to be upset about it but i think in general again just look not looking from a you know a perk benefit or what you should or shouldn't get from a the the rationale behind it again i can see why they went in that direction to not offer it uh, just simply because again i don't think it's as necessary as it was in a situation in which everybody's going to the beach and you need that kind of area i mean we see this in labadie go to labadie a lot of times you know, we, I recommend to people go to columbus cove cuz it's less crowded over there uh, but also, Columbus Cove is the furthest away beach, whereas Barefoot Beach is actually very close to the pier. So again, there, there's a but everyone's competing for beach space in that regard. I think here you've got so many other people doing kind of different things. It's almost reminds me of like the Oasis class cruise ships, where you know you say six thousand people on a cruise ship, holy moly, it's got to be like a sardine can in there. Yeah, but not everyone's doing the same thing at the same time. This is now true with the different amenities yeah. Coco Cay is offering. And again, this is theoretical. Maybe it'll change, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll you know change my mind about it later on. But as I look at it here, it just it, it seems to me like that's not going to be a big deal.
1: Yeah, I, the, just in terms of the linear space of beach that will be added, never mind everything else. Um, people will be a little more spread out than they were before, so Absolutely. I I just don't anticipate this being a problem. Even if you look at some of the smaller um, islands out there, uh, it's about how much beach space there is. Um, half Moon. Uh, Half Moon K is a, a fantastic destination, real long beach. So the only part that gets crowded is guess what? The part that's nearest where you first walk up because people don't <laughs> want to take the extra 25 steps. Um, you know, uh, Disney Castaway Key, uh, you know, Disney has all sorts of benefits for all sorts of different people who are willing to pay more money in their cabanas. You want to talk cabana pricing and availability. That's a fun Holy one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what they don't have? Um, unless something has recently changed, a sweet beach because there's just so much beach space, and, and you're going to have that here as well. Um, so I, if it becomes a problem, it's easy for it's an easy one for them to solve.
0: If, if that's right. Um, I mean, overall, looking at this now, we you know, there's there's I think generally speaking, I think it's uh, pretty darn exciting. Uh, there's a lot to, to like about it. One thing I wanted to talk to you about. This is not related to what's announced here, but Railcarman did also talk about something they've been hinting at and talking about here and there, but hasn't confirmed, which are overnight stays at Perfect Day at Coco Kay. And this the, is the official word. I'm reading it verbatim. We are designing the island to accommodate the possibility of overnight and extended stays in the future. Stay tuned for more detail. So, Billy, are you excited? And by excited, I mean will you actively look to take advantage of an overnight or longer stay at a private island like Kay?
1: Um. Am I excited about it? Yes, because I think it's neat. I think some people will love that. Um, I wouldn't be against it for myself. Um, Outside of maybe the first time kind of novelty of it, eh. Uh, It's not a huge draw for me personally. I also look at things differently. I I live a few miles from the beach. Uh, I can can enjoy the beach at night. And by the way, beach at night is fantastic. So we'll see what they do. Um, The only nighttime private island experience that i am aware of from a cruise line and leave angry comments uh, matt at royalcaroubanblog.com if i'm wrong is and I, i'm trying i'm struggling to remember the name of the island but when premier cruises uh
0: had what a, what a, a name uh, brand uh, recognized cruise line
1: uh, Pr- Premier was, you know, you get a deal with Disney and you, you are a big deal at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but premier cruises, uh, people know them from the big red boat. Um, ah, okay. They had a nighttime excursion at a private Island and there was a whole theme to it, um, with pirates and it was very, very cool stuff. Um, they planned to do overnights and they never did if I recall, or maybe they did it for a very short time. I don't think they did it at all. It was just a a late night thing, so we'll we'll see. Uh, I think it comes down to what are they offering overnight. Because if you look at the current palette of offerings, there are some great things. They're adding a lot of great options. I don't know. Once the sun goes down, what are people doing?
0: Yeah, that's my that's Uh, my thing, Billy. I thought I thought like if they could stay to like ten o'clock, that would be awesome. That's all you need to stay to, because nobody's going on the water slide at three a.m. or even midnight. Really, I mean, it's just to me the value of being able to stay later outweighs the need to offer overnights. I mean, the really I suspect the reason to offer an overnight is not to go on the water slide at midnight, but to be able to be there at 6 a.m. and and you know just repeat it all the next day. My take on it is, is let them go till like I say, stay there past sundown, have a couple hours in the evening, you know, especially in the summertime this time of year, you know, it doesn't the sun doesn't set until geez, you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock anyway. So you've got plenty of sunlight there, but it'd be cool to stay there until nine ten o'clock at night, do that, leave, the cruise ship leaves, go to NASA, go wherever, come back again on another day, which is something Disney Cruise Line does, and I think that's something, I don't know why more cruise lines don't do that. That to me is, uh, I I'm not play. against them doing overnights, but I think that's a better strategy uh, in terms of like practical needs of a cruise guest.
1: Uh, I agree in terms of practical needs of a cruise guest. I also agree um, from the standpoint of, of not that I am one, but speaking on behalf of a profession that I uh, am not involved with uh, revenue officers <laughs> at uh, Cruise Line. So here's, uh, I'm going to go uh, the, 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 Two people listening to this podcast that enjoy my my history and and industry uh, analysis pieces on uh, on cruisehabit.com. Yeah, everyone else just Sorry. take a quick Sorry. break. <laughs> this one, are you going to do the Brian McNichols thing when I am talking now and like have the the sound of fast forwarding a tape? As uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I should do that. Go ahead, Billy. I want to hear this.
1: So, uh, private islands first came about in the cruise industry with NCL um, back I think it was the the late seventies. And now they have great strip K. That's their main one. They have another harvest K as well. And originally, by the way, they picked a different Island. I'll write about that sometime. There was a mistake, wrong marketing materials, fun stuff. (laughs) Anywho, um, they did that because it was a differentiator and there was great snob appeal in saying their first ads were uh, a destination exclusive to NCL guests. Wow. That, that sounds great. That's a differentiator for your brand because they were the only one that had that at the time. And even if you're not shopping for a cruise at all, this idea that you, there's a private island is pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. So at the time, that meant, one, you didn't need a lot of amenities on the island. <laughs> the concept <laughs> in and of itself was the appeal. Uh, and two, you might even not want a lot of amenities. The, the, the rustic feel that up until very recently, in fact, Great Stirrup maintained um, was part of the appeal. Uh, over time, however, every cruise line Uh, out of the, the, in the contemporary and and premium markets, every cruise line ended up with private destinations in the Caribbean. So, okay, how do you differentiate them? Well, they started kind of one upping each other and really they started with, uh, with Disney cruise line, I I think built out a very nice experience. Um, when everyone else started a very rustic experience, not saying rustic is bad. Um, and over the, over the years you've seen at, um, at Amber Cove, uh, you, you've seen this built up, you've seen Harvest K built up, and it was only really a matter of time. I think you and I had talked about this uh, a number of times. It was only a matter of time until Royal Caribbean, uh, uh, plus the experience. Okay, so now you have the saying where it's table stakes to have these private destinations, right? Mm-hmm. But what do cruise lines feel about this? Well, when you have to do something just to keep up, it's not nearly as appealing to from a brand perspective as when you can offer something that's different because when you offer something that's different the idea is you're making more money people are coming to you instead of the other guy now they're just coming to you because you have not saying all these are the same but you know you're you are trying you're all trying to keep up with each other a big problem is not only you're not making money because you're taking people away when everyone has some type of offering like this it's hard to make money especially if you're one of the the three contemporary lines ncl royal caribbean and uh and carnival where a huge part of your revenue if you hear if you listen to the earnings calls you'll hear all about it—is on board revenue well you can't generally make money on board when you're in port you usually can't run the casinos you usually can't have the shops running and even if you could people aren't on the ship as much right So some of those rules change with private destinations. Some of them don't. It depends on the agreements that cruise lines work out. But in other ports, they have excursions, right? And yeah, you've had excursions at and at Coco Cay, but they're not as big and they're not, uh, they don't bring in the same amount of revenue because a lot of people say, it's a beach day. I don't need to book anything. So what you have with this option, what you have with all these changes are additional revenue makers. People are, instead of just saying, oh, it's a nice beach day, and it is. It's going to be, when you have all these options, it's going to be real tempting to spend some money on some of these other options. And that's a big deal for cruise lines. That's a very big deal because you had a situation where guests demanded that you had this private destination. It would be weird if you didn't. And guests demand constant improvement, as they should. Guests look at what other companies have to offer, as they should. But you're still not making money off of it. So this is a way for them to offer something to really plus it. It looks spectacular, even compared to the other offerings that are out there. You know, I, I keep talking about the Great Work of Harvest uh, K, for example. Even compared to that, th- this visually looks spectacular. So yeah, that's important from a marketing perspective, and you have ways to monetize it when when uh, when you get there. That's a big deal. I'm sorry, did you say something? I missed all that. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> muted.
0: Oh, <laughs> no, me. no, no, it's good. Um, I, I, I think it's it, no question about it. This is good for the industry. This is it's a game changer. I thought that from in, the initial announcement that it's going to, uh, you know, fundamentally change how we look at a private destination. And obviously, this it's competition is is good for all people. You know, all um mm-hmm. what's what's that metaphor? Uh, rising tides lift all boats, or something like that. Yep. Right. It's 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 as a Royal Caribbean cruise fan, I often tell folks you should be excited when MSC or Carnival or Norwegian or anybody does something really cool and innovative because, you know, it's going to force all the rest of the cruise lines, including Royal Caribbean to compete, to lower their prices, offer more new things. And there's no question in my mind that we're seeing this here with uh, Perfect Day. I can't wait for it. It's really, really exciting. And Billy, I appreciate you uh, coming on here to talk with me about this. I appreciate you having me, letting me rant on, and I uh, look forward to
1: hearing how much you edit out.
0: All right, so to answer your Royal Caribbean emails, this is the part of the show where I read the emails that many of you sent in. And I think some of you probably yell out the answers while driving and also yell out also at me for not having the exact answer you would as well. All It's all good, though. I enjoy it. And, of course, if you want to send me your email or rant about how I was wrong, please feel free to do so by sending an email to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcrombianblog.com. Matt at royalcrombianblog.com. Our first email is from Andy Adams of Winchester, United Kingdom. Hi, Matt. We just enjoyed a three-night experience cruise on the recently upgraded Independence of the Seas from Southampton. And I thought I would share some of the my thoughts with you. We, were, we are something of freedom-class connoisseurs, having it on all three ships. Liberty of the Seas for a seven-night med cruise from the Barcelona, and both Independence and Freedom for 14-night transatlantic ocean voyages. As we have friends who are dedicated Royal Caribbean cruisers, and particularly enjoy these longer cruises as well, they've come with us. Overall we would surmise some of the significant new features and innovations on Independence as follows. Playmaker's Bar, a great new venue, which fills a gap that we always felt existed. I had to do some work on embarkation day, and it was a great place to find a corner with my laptop without feeling out of it, and just a great all-around bar for a quick drink and chill out. We look forward to seeing it in a better location on some of the other ships. Izumi, we didn't get to try this as a short sailing, but a great new dining choice. Fish and Ships... A great, new, quick, and accessible eatery with some really nice food and a useful bar, but very British-centric and really should be free, not charged, though admittedly at a pretty low level. Water slides. Good fun. Once or twice was enough for us, but the children would likely want to go on them a lot naturally. Skypad. Good fun. Once or twice per cruise for us, but again, children really like it. Laser tag. We really enjoyed this. A nice day, sea day activity. And the escape room. We didn't have time to try this over the three-night cruise, but some people who really enjoyed it. Some aspects of this particular cruise we found not quite to our taste. The makeup of passengers was heavily British. My husband is English and I am Irish living in England, but we're used to a more diverse range of cruisers and missed the diversity. It felt like the bars in particular were overwhelmed and despite purchasing an ultimate beverage package, I ended up drinking wine that I had had bought in a supermarket and brought on board as the wait time at the bars was just too long. This is something that we never really experienced at any previous cruise. On our first night, there was a Red Club event in Studio B, which worked well. The following night, the late night event was in the Viking Crown Lounge, which just did not work. The Freedom Class ships do lack a decent nightclub since the removal of the catacombs, etc. The main dining room, we also felt, had slipped slightly in standards. My husband is uh, celiac gluten-free, and the options were much more limited than our previous sailings. In terms of internet packages, we really struggled with the internet. My friend allowed me to use his complimentary diamond surf package to try to send some files to work, but they just wouldn't send. I then had to buy surf and stream, just to send those files, the two PowerPoint files, and even that took about 10 minutes or so. I really cannot imagine that anyone could stream anything over such a connection and we were only in the English Channel hardly the high seas. I really struggle with how this is sold as the fastest internet at sea given our experience and, on this and previous cruises. Overall though we were left slightly disappointed but see this as something as a one-off. Independence of the Seas is a great ship and the new innovations add a lot. We've enjoyed uh, our cruises on all the Freedom class ships but our next planned cruise is on Symphony of the Seas for a transatlantic ocean voyage in October and we're looking forward to our first Oasis Class experience. Have you ever Done or consider a podcast episode talking about ocean voyage cruises in particular. We find that these crossings have a very different atmosphere and attract at times a quite different type of cruiser with different dynamics. I find all, I hope you find all this useful. Thanks to the great weekly podcast. We look forward to each week's episode as we prepare for our next cruise. Andy, thank you so much for the email, dude. Great stuff. A couple things that jumped out at me. Number one, you mentioned the uh, the lack of variety or uh, in in fellow cruisers, you know, diversity, as you said it. You went on a three night cruise, and someone who's clearly gone on a lot of longer cruises, you're going to find that, you know, international folks are not going to go on, are not going to plan a vacation around a three night cruise. They tend to attract a lot of locals. Uh, This is true whether it's in South Florida or in Southampton. So I think that, I'm not surprised to hear that. I think that it's just different for you, perhaps, because again, you would sail on those longer sailings. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, Regarding the, and of course, on a shorter sailing, a three nighter, it's going to be a booze cruise, right? You're gonna get a lot of people getting the drink package, nature of the beast. Uh, I do agree with that. You know, one of the issues with the with the late night club, if you like a a club experience, you know, the oomps, 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 kind of thing, and you know, and you you know, when you you can't have a conversation with anybody, or you really enjoy like what he's doing, where you know, you know, like those kind of things. I don't know. I'm too old for that stuff anymore, but. Um, You're right. They don't have that club experience, so they tend to put it in different venues. And some venues are better than others, no question about it. So, you know, kind of goes with where it's held. For the Internet, on non-Oasis or Quantum Class ships, I found that what tends to happen, actually, Andy, is the Internet tends to get easily overwhelmed in certain access points, but not across the whole ship. What I mean by that is, uh, let's say you're trying to send that PowerPoint Uh, by the pool deck on a sea day. Well, everyone's by the sea on on the pool deck so you're going to get a lot of people using uh, the internet in that area but if you go to a ship that's less crowded I feel like there are better spots on the ship where the internet performs better. As an example on Rhapsody of the Seas when we were there I could consistently get a really good solid connection to be able to do video streaming when I was on near the centrum on decks 4 through 6 in that area uh, right off the promenade deck but the internet really struggled in other places on board, like in my stateroom, in the uh, on the pool deck. By, by most counts, you know, it, it kind of was more hit or miss in that regard, uh, and that tends to be the case. I do agree with you, though, that I think it's misleading to some extent that they do call it the fastest internet at sea. Um, it is the fastest internet in the sense that. On some Royal Caribbean ships, you can get the fast internet, but I really wish they would say, okay, these ships, like the Quanta class ships and the Oasis class ships, are have VOOM, the fast internet at sea. And a ship like Independence of the Seas has not VOOM, or whatever you want to call it, you know, speedy internet, or something that's like, you know, pretty darn fast internet, but not as fast as VOOM. That would be a great slogan. As you can tell, I am not in marketing, so, you know, that'd be my take on it, but, uh, you know, it's interesting your experiences there, and I think that, uh, I think honestly, you know, being on a three-night cruise, it's a very different experience than on a normal, you know, seven-night cruise that Independence typically does uh, over in Europe, for sure. In the U.S., she obviously is going to be doing the the four- and the, and the five-night sailings, which is fine. But, uh, you know, it's, it's there, you get a different dynamic depending on, uh, you know, how long the cruise is, no question about that. So, But I appreciate the first-hand review of the newly refurbished Independence because it looks amazing. And, of course, a lot of those changes are coming to Mariner of the Seas as well. Next, we have an email from Nick Musial, who writes, I've been listening to your podcast for a while and appreciate the work you do. I'm aware that Oasis of the Seas is repositioning to Europe in April 2019, and re- returning November 2019, but I can't see any cruises between 9 and 11 2019 I assume there's going to be a return transatlantic repositioning in that window, maybe even a dry dock. Any idea when they will open the booking for the sailing? Oh, and I did our first transatlantic... Uh, this year with Norwegian, even though we still prefer Royal Caribbean, and want to jump on this at the first opportunity. So, Nick, great question. First of all, they are doing a, re- a dry dock refurbishment. The reason why Oasis of the Seas is going to Europe in the first place, over uh, in, in 2019, is for dry dock, because they, I believe the dry dock is in Spain, if I'm not mistaken, Cadiz, and somewhere in Europe. Let's just put it that way. Um, and and because it's every five years, Royal Caribbean ships need a refurbishment. So, it's you know, it's like bringing your car in for an oil change. So... Since Oasis is going to be there anyway, Royal Caribbean figure, why not offer a summer of sailings there? Uh, Allure of the Seas will be doing the exact same thing the next year in 2020 because she'll be due for her work on, on, you know, every five years. Now, as to that mystery trans Atlantic crossing in the fall, it looks like they're not offering it. Uh, this may be a situation in which they're going to do a lot of work in the dry dock, but then take the repositioning back to the United States as an opportunity to have more time to do that work on board the ship and so as far as I can tell it's not an, op- an option that that's on the website as I look at it right now uh, in fact the entire month of October 2019 is just grayed out as an option for waste of the Seas and if you select November 2019 you just simply see sailings over in uh out of Florida so uh you know it's not unheard of certainly but it is kind of surprising though they wouldn't offer it because it is a fairly popular option for those trans those repositioning cruises really between Europe and and North America so Next, we have an email from Carlos who writes Hi, Matt. Long time listener to your podcast. Just wanted to drop a line and give some info from my experience of a listener question. You had a question about Royal Caribbean going to Punta Cana. I've been twice to the Dominican on a cruise with Carnival. They have two stops there, one being La Romana and the other is Amber Cove. I will tell you that I'm honestly not in any hurry to return to any of those ports or that country on a cruise. La Romana is an industrial port with nothing there. I believe Carnival is dumping a lot of money to upgrade the port there for cruise ships, but everything is very far away and we're told that it's not really safe to venture outside of the gates. Amber Cove, I believe, belongs only to Carnival as only their ships dock there. It's a lot nicer than La Romana, but I believe they need to spend quite a bit of money in developing these areas for cruise ship passengers. Thank you, Carlos, for the information there. And that's a really good point. Obviously, sometimes when you look at itineraries between cruise lines, they may not be apples to apples. I do know, Carlos, I probably mentioned this on the episode we were talking about this, the, the crux of the question that Carlos is responding to is, why doesn't Royal Caribbean offer cruises to the Dominican Republic? And I remember years ago, they offered cruises to Samana in the Dominican but that really isn't the case anymore. And basically, Carlos is just saying, well, there's a good reason. One of the ports is not very nice, and the other port is a, is a Carnival-only port, similar to Labadee or something like that. Next, we mail from Moraine, who writes, I recently found your podcast and enjoyed listening and learning from them. In episode 232, you uh, featured you speaking with your travel agent, Annette Jackson. You both mentioned how important and helpful it is to work with a travel agent, and it seemed that you are both down on Costco travel. I've only been on two cruises. But my family and I really love it and have plans for several more. I booked our first two cruises through Costco for Independence and Oasis, and they were wonderful. Can you be more specific on what the problem is with Costco and why a travel agent is better? For example, I had booked a cruise on Allure of the Seas a Central Park Balcony Room. The cost for two of its people is $15, $1,540 and includes $50 beverage credit, two specialty dining uh, options were $200, So, a package for two, uh, two lunch or dinner Johnny Rockets, a cookie decorating class, and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. This is approximately $430 worth of pluses, uh, or extras I should say plus Costco sends us a, a cash card which comes up to about $500 what I read on cruise boards and forums regarding extras provided by travel agents is that it may be a bottle of wine in the room up to like you know $100 to support credit I feel that like I'm missing something here please let your newbie listeners and cruisers know exactly why it's better to use a travel agent is this is it a better travel agent can find you a better cabin or help in some way when things go awry while on the cruise? Or I. Jeez. Like, I always purchase travel insurance, but maybe a cruiser should tell their travel agent instead if they have a problem while on the cruise. I canceled the cruise to Costco before and never had it to charge the change fee. It was all within the final penalty period, and I always make sure our deposits are refundable. Thank you very much, Matt, for all that you do. Rain, thank you for the email, and I think this is a really good topic to bring up. Of course, because this is something I hear quite a bit about. And you know, there's first of all, I just want to mention that uh, a couple of those things, uh, by virtue of the fact that you booked a uh, a Central Park balcony room, some of the benefits that Costco is promoting actually everybody gets for being in Central Park balcony room, uh, namely the meal. I'm surprised they mentioned the soda package and Johnny Rockets because I think that sounds like the deal you're supposed to be getting for the boardwalk room. But anyway, I digress. That's not really the point. just wanted to put that out there. But anyway, um, the difference between Costco or some of the big box store companies that offer travel like this and uh, independent travel agent is is not – it's not about the money. And this is, something, this is a lesson that I didn't understand when I first started using travel agents. I thought the same thing. I was like, oh – Travel agents can, you know, really save you a lot of money and they can get you, uh, you know, get you all these little fabulous little deals, almost like going to like a, a used car dealership, right? And being like, you know, what's the, you know, can you go any lower? What else can you do to sweeten the deal kind of thing? And certainly travel agents can save you some money. Maybe they're aware of different promotions. Sometimes travel agents themselves, agencies offer special promotions that are on top of what Royal Caribbean offers. But what I learned, Rain, is it's about service. It is about the relationship that you as the customer form with the agent. With Costco, you don't have a dedicated agent. It's just the company manages it. And if you have a problem or an issue, you call in. So certainly, Costco is not checking your reservation when there are price drops and applying them automatically. That's something that not all travel agents do that, to be fair. Let's be honest here. Uh, I know that in the example of MEI Travel, which by the way, in full disclosure, MEI Travel is a sponsor of realcreenblog.com. But there are some travel agents that are out there that will reprice the cruise for you, take advantage of new sales if a price drop hits for your particular sailing. Number two, if you have a question, you want to change things, you're working with a specific agent. When you want to book another cruise, you're working with that same agent. And that may not sound like a big deal, but what that really amounts to is it saves you time in the long haul because they get to know you, know your preferences, and ensure that the service that you're getting is truly superior to you doing it yourself. Because I feel like a lot of times when you work with these other things, yeah, you you're, look, I'm not going to deny it. You're probably getting more money in, you know, in these, some of these different amenities that you talked about from Costco, but you're not getting that service. And that's night and day difference. Now, again, This comes down to what I always tell people is you need to use a good travel agent, but I will tell you without a doubt, Rain, that I know that it seems like it's hard to always say, you know, how is it not always about the bottom line and money and everything like that? Look, I totally get it, and more money in your pocket is less money that you need to spend later on, right? But when it comes to a travel agent, you want to know what the difference is and what you're quote-unquote missing here in that discussion that we had. Uh, in episode 232 of the real Cream blog podcast I will tell you that the reality is it is that service that's the big difference you can not say you can't you know, still get incentives here and there but it's more about that relationship and when you reuse the same agent over and over again, you really start to reap the benefits of it. You really will see it long term. And if you speak to people that have booked multiple cruises with an agent that they really do and love, you'll you'll hear them talk about it, just how wonderful it, how wonderful they service them, and with the great level of you know the 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 convenience factor of it. And as we all know, convenience is something it's hard to put a you know a price tag on in a lot of cases. But I appreciate the email. Thank you very much for sending it in. Next, we have an email from uh, Vanessa Olsen. Thank you, Vanessa, for sending this email. Writes, "Uh, hello, Matt. Well, last year I took some time off from cruising, and wow, the website has changed a ton. I booked a cruise September 21st, sailing from Seattle. It's a coastal cruise. How do I book my drink package? I don't think to be showing yet. Well, that's for the information you can give me. I'll be spending the next few months catching up on the podcast. Sounds like a lot has changed. Vanessa, thank you so much for the email. Uh So, uh, of course, the way to buy a drink package or an internet package or a dining package or Pretty much anything you can buy before the cruise is to go to Royal Caribbean's cruise planner. You probably already know this, Vanessa. But what I think is happening is Vanessa's going to the cruise planner, because she remembers what it used to be like, right? Go to Royal Caribbean's website, log into your account, find your sailing, and there's a link right there for your cruise planner to do all that stuff. Cool. But Vanessa goes in there and says, hmm, I don't see any drink packages offered here. That's because it's not on sale yet. Yet is the key word. Now of course the follow-up question, but also don't don't send me an email. I already know what your follow-up question is. Okay, Matt, when will it show up? No one can tell you that. There's there's no rhyme or reason as to when certain things, whether it's a drink package or shore excursions or dining packages or dining restaurants, when any of them will actually show up in your reservation. If you book a cruise, you know, 12, 18, 24 months ahead of time, which is something I always advocate, you may notice when you go into the cruise planner, there's not a whole lot to look at. But eventually, it will show up there. But there is no way to know definitively, oh, it's going to be there 95 days before you're sailing. I often tell people between 90 and 120 days before your sail date is that basic spot where it's probably, if it hasn't showed up by then, it'll show up then. But sometimes they show up years in advance. And sometimes they don't. So you just got to keep checking back, Vanessa. So I often tell people, you know, get into your morning routine. You have your morning coffee. Log on to the Royal One website and see if uh, if anything has changed. Or better yet, a lot of times, a lot of people do this. They'll join a Facebook group for their particular sailing. You know, she's going on, I think, Explorer of the Seas. Um, out of Seattle, September 21st. You know, search for Facebook for a group like that. And oftentimes, maybe somebody will do that homework for you and let you all know that it's available, and then you can jump on there. But anyway, just check back periodically. It's the only real way, Vanessa, to uh, be able to really know. But I wish I could give you a better answer, but there just isn't one. Uh-huh. Next, we have an email from Kathy and Brian, who writes, hey, Matt, first of all, thanks for providing me with hours of entertainment prior to our Royal Caribbean Explorer of the Seas Cruise out of Sydney in April. Uh, I wanted to share with you how we managed to successfully surprise our family with our wedding on board of our cruise in Sydney before the sailing. My now husband and I have been together for 17 years and each have three adult children. When our group of 27 family members booked the cruise two years ago for my 50th birthday, we were not expecting there to be three grandchildren born before embarkation. Unfortunately, my son, his wife, and their newborn daughter had to cancel the cruise as Lucy was too young to sail. We decided late last year that it was indeed our turn for a wedding, having had four of our children married over the last six years, but we had yet to work out the way to do this with my son and his family present. In the end, the best way to organize it... Was for them to come to Sydney and board the ship for the ceremony and then disembark before sail away. Of course, keeping it all a surprise from everyone proved challenging, fun but challenging. Uh, we were unsure if it was indeed a surprise or whether the kids were just not letting us know they knew, but when we walked down the aisle in the chapel on Explorer, we could not have been happier. We knew we had pulled it off as one, everyone was in casual tire despite being told to gather in Dizzy's bar for a 50th birthday portrait, and two, uh, the cheers, screaming, whistles, and tears were a dead giveaway. We were overjoyed with our special day, and would like to thank Royal Caribbean for assisting in making such a memorable experience. Below are just some of the things that they helped with. Number one, priority embarkation. Quite an entertaining experience with with at least seven staff, security, and customs personnel making sure that we got on the ship without being seen by their family members, allowing us to book the chapel for an hour and a half, including serving champagne after the ceremony. They even had staff at the bottom of the stairs to keep other cruisers from entering. Allowing us to be in our suite by 11 a.m., providing us with the best celebrant ever, Andrea Calados from Sydney. I have no idea who that is. Providing us with a wedding coordinator from Sydney, Sherry, and also a w- onboard coordinator, Flavia, who both were extremely helpful and especially with the importance of the secret. Allowing us to have our wedding cake part of the package at dinner that at night, and then again in our suite the next day with family present, decorating the room thoughtfully on day three and allowing our son and his family to enjoy the time with us despite having disembarked before 4 30 p.m they were treated with respect and professionalism all in all a great experience and we can't wait to cruise the caribbean again wow kathleen and brian congratulations model on on getting married and what a great experience that sounds like i, I i'm very happy for you and i'm so glad to hear that. You've had such a great experience as well. And thank you to everybody for listening to this week's episode. This will wrap things up here. If you want to send me your email about maybe some question you have about your upcoming Royal Caribbean cruise, or maybe something you read on Royal blog.com I would love to read it here on the podcast. You can do so by sending it to matt at Royal blog.com Matt, M-A-T-T, at Royal blog.com So until next time, I'm Matt Hochberg, and we'll talk again soon.